we did find out that when women get together from our church to worship God, the ground shakes as they were in one of their sessions. My son, uh, my sons actually were both awake. One was just waking up. The other one was just getting up into his top bunk. And apparently a top bunk makes it a little bit more pronounced. <laughs> and, and his eyes just got really big. At first he thought I was coming up and shaking the bed. And, and it's like, wow, dad's been really noisy today. And, um, but he just was, was really scared at first. Once he realized what was happening, it was the first earthquake my, my boys had felt and can remember feeling. And it shook pretty, pretty good at our house. And I can remember one of my sons just wanting me near. He's like, Dad, just stay with me. Just stay with me. And I, I crawled up in, in his bed a little bit and got him to sleep. And as I'm getting down, he wakes up a little bit. But um, about a half hour, he comes walking out to the family room where I'm studying. And he just curls up next to me. He says, Dad, I just need to be near you. I just need to be near you. And to see, once he, he, my arm was around him and he curled up, to see the contentment, and he just fell right to sleep. It, it, it was interesting because this morning we're talking about how the presence of God affects us. How God being near affects us in challenges and in fear and, and in things that will keep us from moving forward to Him. And just what a, a great visual of that that um, was, was put in my mind by just a little bit of shaking of the ground. A little shaking of the ground. <laughs> but as we come to our text this morning, we come to a place where the children of Israel are, are right on the verge of going into the promised land. They're just about to start the conquest, one of the, the great events in the history of their nation. And I don't know about you, but sometimes starting a project is the hardest part, isn't it? You, you, you can plan, you can think through it, but that first step of saying, we are moving forward. And that's where the children of Israel are. This is their first step. I can remember thinking through some construction on our house and taking down a wall. And, and Susie and I had talked about this and talked about this. And finally, one night at about 1 or 2 in the morning, this was before the kids, so we didn't wake them up, um, I said, you know what? We just need to start. We need to go in. I get a crowbar out and I take out a wall. And Susie wakes up in the morning and there's no wall there. It was great. <laughs> But it was, it was taking that first step of moving forward and saying, I am going to do what we plan to do. And, and so Israel here is at that point. I want to throw up a map so we can understand where they're at and, and what is going on. I hope you like maps through this series because we'll use quite a few of them. This is a map of the tribal allotments that you'll see throughout the series. And so you'll get, you'll get used to this map. But as Israel has been wandering in the wilderness... Keep in mind, they've been wandering down here, maybe a little bit further south, but down here in, in all the desert and the wilderness, desolation and, and just this awful land. And so finally, after the 40 years, God begins to direct them. And Moses is still alive at this point, And Moses leads the people up the eastern side of the Dead Sea. And so they come, they come up around the Dead Sea. And they actually defeat the Moabites here. And, and so they have a couple of battles under Moses' leadership. They defeat the Moabites. And so they come to right about here, right on the edge of the Jordan River, about to come into the Promised Land, all of this area, and to take the land and conquer the inhabitants. And right about here is Mount Nebo, where Moses went up on the mountain and God took him home, and that's where Moses died. 
And so Joshua's left here waiting to go over, and Jericho's right here, so that's the scenery. A real-life picture, this is always sort of fun, an an, um, aerial view. Mount Nebo's up here where Moses um, died, and the children of Israel are probably down in here, spread out and camped here after defeating this people. And they're about to cross the Jordan River, about to cross the Jordan River and take the land. So as we study Joshua, and as we come to Joshua 1, it's that moment of, are we going to start? And a couple of things, as we look at Old Testament narrative that that I mentioned briefly last week that I want to mention again and are in your notes, how do we take Old Testament narrative? What do we learn from it? It can just be pure history, but God's Word is intended to be much more than just historical book, it's intended to pierce our hearts and to convict us and challenge us. It is profitable for teaching, for instruction, for reproof, for correction, for righteousness. And so we want to ask ourselves some questions as we go through the book of Joshua. What can I learn about God's character in this section? And not every section will have lessons on answers to every one of these questions, but what can I learn about God's character in this section? What can I learn about how God works and leads? And today especially, we'll be dealing with that question. What can I learn about following God and His expectations in this section? And a whole center section today is about His expectations. What pleases God and what displeases God? Are there any lessons from the characters of the story I can learn? Failures, strengths, responses to God's leadership. How can I follow God this week? So as we study the history, and today we'll start by going through the text and looking at the historical story and what is happening there, but then we'll go to application and answer some of these questions. What does God want, how does God want to use His Word today in my life? So turn with me to Joshua 1 as the story starts, and this is a great beginning. I'm excited about the book of Joshua, and, and how does God get the story going? How does He motivate the people to move into the land and to take the land. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. In the first section, the first nine verses that we'll look at is Yahweh's charge to Joshua. Yahweh's charge to Joshua. And so right from the start, the primary character isn't Joshua, it's God. And He's the one speaking and He sets the scene and sets the tone and challenges Joshua to enter the land. Starting at verse 1, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. We gave some history last week, but right from the start, it's after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. A title that is used for him over and over and over again that, interestingly enough, isn't given to Joshua until the end of the book of Joshua. Until he has proven himself. But this is the death of Moses the incomparable. Moses the Great the one that led them for 40 plus years, that brought them out of Egypt, the servant of God. And suddenly, the people are faced with his death. How do we deal with the death of the only leader we've ever known? Maybe it's, we need to take some time. And we just need to sit here on the plains of Moab for a few years, settle a little bit. In fact, some of the tribes that already settled on that eastern side in the areas where they had taken over the land. We'll talk about that in a minute. But maybe we just need to to stop. Because God's plans now must be changed. They must be ruined because Moses is dead. But understand this, that's verse 1. 
of the entire book. Because God uses that as a launching point to challenge Joshua and bring Joshua into ministry. And right from the start, we see that that God's faithfulness, His ability to execute His plan, is not dependent on the life of one man. Praise God. His, His fidelity to what He has said is not hinged on whether one man lives or dies or whether there's a river there that you can get across. God is faithful and nothing stops that. Not even the death of a man. And we're reminded right from the start that no man is irreplaceable. In fact, the cemetery is full of irreplaceable men. But God's plan continues. And so right from the start, right from Moses' death, we see after the death of Moses, and then to to verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. And so Yahweh shakes Joshua a little bit in my mind, challenges him and says, okay, arise and go. And so the first thing we see there is Yahweh's command in in verse 2. Yahweh's command, arise and go. Notice that God doesn't outline the whole plan to Joshua. He doesn't say, this is how we're getting across the Jordan. This is how we're defeating the the people. This is the order we're in. He says, arise and go. It's time to stop mourning. It's time for action. I appreciate that. So God is challenging him to get up and go. This is the command for the entire book of Joshua as the, the rest of the book is about arising and going and God giving that land. But then Yahweh, God follows it with His promise. And so Yahweh's promise in verses 2-5, through five, He said arise and go, but it's not just, okay, you're on your own. There's promises that He gives that help Joshua and give Joshua confidence. There's three promises, three parts of the promises that we see in these four verses. The first is His gift. It's the land that I will give you. Look at the wording, you and all this people, into the land I am giving to them. And that's, that's a key word and that's something that we'll see come up over and over is they are to go into the land, but God is the one doing the work. He is the one giving it to them. See that again in verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. And as we talked about last week, the, the idea of the land was the promise that they were waiting for. This is what they were, they were expecting and had, had just dreamt of Christmas morning for them. God is giving them the land. This was a testimony to His faithfulness. Remember in Genesis 12, 6 and 7, the, the, the promise to Abraham, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. A few chapters later in Genesis fifteen sixteen, he's talking to Abraham again, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation. And he's saying that, that further generations will come back, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And we see this, this idea that the people of the land are evil. And at some point, God is going to judge them and He's going to use Israel to do that. And so praise God, we have a God who keeps His promises. And His first promise to Joshua was so meaningful and to the people 
I will give you the land. Turn over to Deuteronomy 11. Deuteronomy 11, 24 through 25. It's in the, in the Pentateuch, the first five books, so they would have been very familiar with this. But this is God's promise that He gave to Moses. And just listen to this and read this and, and see what we see in Joshua 1 because the parallelism is Josh, God is renewing His covenant to Joshua, reminding him that He keeps His promises. And so He gives Joshua the same promise that He gave Moses. This is great. Deuteronomy 11, 24-25 Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Your territory shall be from the wilderness to the Lebanon and from the river, the river Euphrates, to the western sea. No one shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will lay the fear of you and the dread of you on all the land that you shall tread as He promised you. And so to Moses, he had given this description of the land, the boundaries of the land, and said, no one's going to stand before you. I'm giving it to you. And now in Joshua 1, we see the same thing. Because God is faithful and God is using His faithfulness and His promises to challenge and encourage Joshua to take that step and to move out. So we go back to Joshua 1 and we read those same words just about in verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not not leave you nor forsake you. See all those same words there? And what is God doing? How is God encouraging Joshua? And we see that in that last phrase, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And the way God convinces Joshua of that is he, He promises the same thing. He says, this is what I did for Moses. This is what I'm doing for you. And we see some, some territory there, some land, and get go back to maps, which is awesome. The, the prior map was this area right here, stopping here. But if you look at the boundaries, the green shaded area is the, are the boundaries that are listed both in the, the prior passage and in this passage. And so we see Lebanon is up here, and we go all the way up to Lebanon, and this is the river Euphrates, which he mentions is the northeastern border. This is the Great Sea, that's the western border. And then we know from that, this passage and other passages that the boundaries came down to the Rift Valley, to the Jordan River, and came down through the Negev or through the wilderness. And so all of this was the land promised to Israel. Now this land is the land that they had just taken over, the Moabite land, and the people, two and a half of the tribes, had said, we like this land. It's great for cattle. Can we stay here? And they had said that to Moses. And so Moses, um, after consulting with God, gave them this part of the land with some conditions that we'll look at in a moment. This is promised. Now notice, this is larger than present-day Israel. This is larger than Israel ever came to be. Now there are times under Solomon where it came up here a little bit more, and under David's reign down here, David and Solomon was at its great... It never came to this full extent. And we'll see some of the reasons why as we go through Joshua, as we read phrases like, and the people did not conquer the land. The people did not destroy all the inhabitants. The issue wasn't God's promise. 
The issue wasn't God's faithfulness. The issue was the people didn't act on it. Didn't obey fully. And so they did not conquer all this land. Man, there's lessons for us today in that, isn't there? Not that we're going to expand our backyards into our neighbor's backyards or expand the land. But God's promises are never our issue. Our obedience to his word and our obedience to what he asks us to do is always the issue. And it's a challenge to us to obey God, to follow him in everything he asks us to do. So that gives you a general lay of the land. Just so you know, this is the Dead Sea down here. This is the Sea of Galilee. So that's usually the area we see for the land of Israel. And you can see just a little bit of of how much more was, was promised to them if they would obey our Lord and Savior. And so we see Yahweh's promise, the gift of the land. The next part of His promise, you see in verse 5 there, it's not only the land, but no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And the second part of His promise is His strength. His strength that God will overcome the inhabitants. I will fight for you. Man, that's an awesome statement. When God Almighty who created everything says, I'm on your side. I will fight for you. That would get me to take a step. And God is reminding Joshua of that. You will succeed at the task I give you if you follow me. If you follow me. And the next part of the promise, the third part of the promise is I will be with you. And you see that in the last half of verse 5. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. A phrase that we hear often, you might find that on a coffee cup or something, and rightfully so, I will not leave you nor forsake you. And the word to leave means to let go of or to drop. And what a picture there that God won't just drop us. He won't let go of us. We won't slip through His fingers. But He will be with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Now keep in mind, and this is important to understand as we talk about this chapter, the context here is God's command to arise and go. And so, as Joshua obeys this command, God will never leave him nor forsake him. And he will have success in what he does. But we're going to find out in the next section, if you turn from his command to the right or to the left, if we don't follow his word, if we don't follow his commands, that removes God's blessing on that action. So we see his promise of the land, his strength to overcome the inhabitants, his presence. And so then we get to verses 6 through 9, and we see Yahweh's encouragement. Yahweh's encouragement. And so he's given promises, he's given instructions, but that isn't a, a point where we just sit and do nothing. Charles Spurgeon put it great when he talks about Joshua. He was not to use the promise as a couch on, on which his indolence might luxuriate. Isn't that great? Instead, he was to use these promises as a girdle wherewith to gird up his loins for future activity. And what he was getting at is at this point, Joshua has been giving promises. Does that mean we just sit on a couch and and watch God work? Woohoo, God! I got a 60-inch TV. We're going to watch God take over the land. No, the promises were designed to to be a, a girdle or a belt that he puts on for action that he acts on. And so verses 6 through 9, God gives his expectations. How Joshua is to respond to Yahweh's promises. And so because of these promises, 
in verse 6, be strong and courageous. Let me stop there for a minute because we're going to see that again in 7. Only be strong and very courageous. In verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. And we know in Scripture when something, when God repeats something three times, that means this is really important. It means I want you to get this. And for Joshua, who's new to leadership, trying to take over after Moses with this daunting task ahead of him that 40 years earlier the people said, we won't even follow you if you try this. And how much did he need to hear God say, be strong and courageous? Being strong meaning to be resolute, to be determined. Courageous meaning to move forward, boldly to, to move forward. And so those, that phrase, be strong and courageous, gives us the framework of Yahweh's encouragement. And we see in verse 6, he says, be strong and courageous in moving forward with God's work. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land. I swore to their fathers to give them. And so he says, get up and go. You're going to take the land. You're going to lead the people into the land. But this isn't God saying, well, you just have to muster enough courage inside yourself to step out. Do you catch the foundation of it? Which I swore to your fathers. In, in the verse prior, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so God here is setting a foundation for Joshua to be able to step out and serve him. And the foundation is, I am with you. I am fighting for you. You will cause the people to inherit the land, but it's the land I am giving and I'm going to work through you. You will succeed because it's my work. And so because it's my work, be strong and courageous. Be determined and willing to step out. One author wrote, we really believe God's promises only when we begin to obey His commands. If we don't step out, we don't obey His commands. We don't believe His promises. So verse 6, be strong and courageous in moving forward with God's work. Verse 7 and 8, key passage, center passage of, of this section. Be resolute to make God's Word central to life. Be resolute to make God's Word central in life. So we come back to verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous. So actually God here expands it and stresses it a little bit more. Be strong and courageous, but now be strong and very courageous. Being careful or being intentional and, and cautious to do according to all the law that, my, that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. And we see these verses come back to the centrality of God's Word in our lives. Why was Joshua going to be successful? When will he be successful? When he's following God's Word. When he's not turning... From, the, from it to the right or to the left. And, and the word for success here, sometimes people use this to say, well, if I just stay in God's Word enough, I'm going to be rich. It's not what it's saying. We know that from other Scripture. But the wording here is usually used of success in an endeavor or in a task that you're accomplishing, in this case, for God. 
And what a promise for Joshua, for God to give Joshua, if you stay in my word, if you stay focused on it, if it's part of your life, you will have spiritual success. For Joshua, it meant success taking the land because that was God's command for him. That was God's plan. But these verses need to be highlighted. They need to be memorized because this is the center point of Joshua's ability to succeed. We'll see that throughout the book of Joshua. This is one of the grand themes. Not only God's faithfulness, but as Joshua obeyed God, there was success. And we'll see stories where Joshua did not obey God and people died. This is to be central. And you see a couple things in verse 7. Obedience in following His instructions. Do not turn from it to the right hand to the left. Do all that is written therein. And so, God is saying you need to know it, but you need to obey it. But then in verse 8, He expands that a little bit more. How do we make sure we're obeying God's Word? This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You need to be talking about it. Saying it. Verbally talking about it. Because that means it's on our mind. Our conversations, Joshua's conversations, was to be just filled with, with parts of Scripture. Our conversations are to be the same way. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. For them, the book of the law was the first five books. The Pentateuch. For us, it's the whole Bible. Because we have more that God has given to us and revealed to us. But it's so interesting because we look at the first five books and we think law, right? That's what we call them. The law. And when we think law, we think restriction. We think, oh man, this is God telling me what I can and can't do. And yes, it has those things, but they didn't view it that way. They viewed the law as instructions for how to please God. And and there's a whole different focus there. They loved the law because they're like, this is great. God told us what makes them happy. God told me how I can please Him, how I can be in covenant relationship with Him. This is amazing. We sometimes go to Scripture and we say, oh man, God God is crumping my style telling me what I can't do. And here's the thing. One is focused on God. One is focused on me. When I think of the laws, how can I please God, my focus is on relationship with God. When I think of the laws or or God's word as what I can and can't do, my focus is me. And I'm center and I'm on the throne and it's not about God. I'm challenged by how Israel viewed the law and how they loved the law. Because they saw it as God's instructions to them. And so Joshua is told, don't let it depart from your mouth. Verse 8 goes on, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Day and night meaning all the time. And we've talked about meditate before, but it means to uh, mumble or or keep um, saying it under your breath. And so their idea of meditating was you actually kept saying Scripture, but to yourself. The first one's about saying it to other people, and we see God's commands do that. This is saying it to yourself. You know, you, you've heard us talk, it's sort of like a cow chewing his cud again, ruminating on his cud. That, that's the idea. You bring it up and you're just chewing on it. And God is telling Joshua, chew on my word. Mumble about it. Keep it on your mind. I mean, imagine if 
if in our cars as we're driving and we're dealing with road rage, if we had a verse that we had there that, that maybe you don't read while you're driving, but you read right before you're driving, and you're just mumbling it uh, about God's forgiveness and God's grace and, and a godly attitude, if you do that as you're driving, that changes your actions. God's Word changes how we act. But we've got to, to internalize it. We've got to make it central in our lives. Mutter it. Chew it. And then he says, so that you will have success. A life pleasing to God. I think this is an area we need to get serious about. An area that, that we don't realize how central God's Word is to be in our lives. Maybe we treat it as ten minutes in the morning and we're done. Check. We've done that part. But God's challenge to Joshua is it is every part of your life. Day and night, you're thinking about it. You're talking it. You're muttering it. You know, if at times I I counsel people and I'm talking to people about sin issues in their lives and issues that they just haven't been able to conquer, one of the, the best ways to conquer it, like the driving example, is to memorize Scripture on it and to keep muttering that over and over. Yeah, we could have all kinds of other accountability. Maybe the rubber band we click when we do it so that way it hurts a little bit or maybe someone that calls us on it. And those aren't necessarily bad things, but the most powerful thing is God's Word. Do we take it seriously? Maybe we look at this and say, well, that was a great instruction for Joshua, Pastor Ron. He was a leader. He really needed that. I'm not in his place. I don't need God's word like he does. But then we think of Psalm 1-2, where God is talking about the man that is blessed in his eyes. And he says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. It's not to Joshua, that's to every believer. Every man and woman of God. In 2 Timothy 2.15, we saw the instruction, do your best to present yourself as, to God as one approved a worker who needs not to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. How serious are we about including God's word as central in our lives instead of just an extra? That was the key to Joshua's success. And it's the key to us in spiritual success. How are we going to serve God? What are we going to do for God? In verse 9, the last part of God's expectations out of these promises, be determined to remember His presence in difficulties. Be determined to remember His presence in difficulties. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. There's those words again. But he adds to it, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. And and I can picture for Joshua, you know, you're going to enter the land and some of these cities, they're going to look like walled cities that you can't take. Some of them are going to have have armed men that look like they can take down your army. Don't let anything stop you. Don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. And the last phrase is the key to why. Again, it's not just, oh, I'm not going to be afraid because I don't think there's any danger. The last phrase, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Isn't that enough? God Almighty, who created all things, 
who is omnipotent, who has all things in his control, is with you. And with you meaning not just that, that his omnipresence, that he's around, but with you as in supporting you and part of what you're doing. And so for Joshua, that was a key to him being able to lead well. To be able to follow God's instruction. God is with me. I will be strong and courageous. I will not fear. I will not be dismayed. This is so important for leadership. We saw this this phrasing used. We see this a couple of other times in Scripture. The idea of being strong and courageous and then um, do not be afraid or dismayed. And it's always in the context where God is doing something great and He wants His people to join Him. We see it in the building of the temple as, as Solomon is being given instructions in, in First Chronicles. We see it in Hezekiah's, uh, as Assyria's coming to besiege Jerusalem and Hezekiah is motivating his people to stand strong, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be discouraged. God's presence is the key. And God is reminding Joshua of his presence. Just like the story I told of of my son with the earthquake. My presence is what allowed him to rest and to to be at peace and and to accomplish what he needed to accomplish. I love a similar story. One, One little boy was frightened from a storm and his mom was with him and he said, Mommy, will you stay with me all night? Mother smiled, gave him a warm, reassuring hug and said, I can't, dear. I have to sleep in Daddy's room. The long silence. As she went to the door, the son goes, That big sissy. (laughs) He understood presence meant comfort. And it meant not being afraid. So he assumed dad needed that. (laughs) We need our Heavenly Father. We need to know that He's here. Some of you are facing some serious difficulties as you accomplish God's work as you do some of the tasks that God has given you. And it's easy to be afraid. It's easy to be dismayed. God is with you. Don't forget that. That's a promise. And that means the world. In verses 10 to the end of the chapter, we see Joshua's response. We see his his response to these instructions. The first is Joshua immediately obeys. He immediately obeys in verse 10. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people. So God gave him instructions. What does he do? He says, okay, let's go. God gave me the word. Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare the provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go take possession of the land that your God is giving you to possess. He got the idea that God is giving it to them. And he says, get ready. In three days, we're leaving. That's pretty cool. He trusted God. He was strong and courageous. And he said, let's go. We can learn from his example. When God says to go, to arise and go, let's arise and go. Next verses, 12 through 15, are really fascinating verses. And they come from that story I was telling you where um, the, the tribes on this side, two and a half of the tribes liked the land. 
and earlier. We won't go there, but you can go there sometime in Numbers 32. You see the whole story where they go to Moses and say, we like this land. And Moses' first thought is, oh, really? Oh, really? We've already conquered this land. It's a nice land. And you just want to settle here and let everyone else do all the work on the other side of the Jordan. Do you see where he might think that? And so he challenges them with that. And they say, no, 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 we won't do that. And Moses comes back to them and says, okay, here's the deal. I'll give you this land, but your fighting men still have to join the rest of Israel, cross the Jordan, and they can't come back to, to the homes until everything on the western side of the Jordan is conquered. The two and a half tribes said, okay, that sounds great. We'll do that because this is good land. And, and so we come now to they're about to enter the land and Joshua remembers that. Remember, he's going to follow God's law. He won't turn to the left or to the right. So he's going to follow every point of it. So he brings it back up. But this is important because what Joshua is doing is ensuring unity. He's ensuring unity. Let's read at verse 12. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. How many times have we seen the Lord your God is giving? Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it. The land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And so Joshua here is remembering what Moses had said. He brings it up again. And he's ensuring unity in the people. What would have happened if nine and a half tribes said, okay, we're going to go take the land, and the other two and a half said, okay, have a good time? What would that do to, to the unity within Israel? Especially as those nine and a half tribes get into it and they're fighting and they're seeing men, men die. They're, they're seeing the challenge of it. I could just see the grumbling. Half tribe of Manasseh and the Gadites and they're, they're at home and just relaxing. There's a principle here. There's a principle that Joshua is, is bringing unity to the people as they follow God's leading. It's a great model of unity. And, and, and we have the same challenge as a church. As God is leading, are we going to get on board? Are we going to be unified? There are times that, that we do things as a church that aren't directly for you. That don't meet your specific needs. Just as going over the Jordan didn't meet the needs of the two and a half tribes that were left behind. But God said, get up and go, because that's what my people are doing. And there's a challenge there. One that we, especially the men here, we need to take up and say, we will fight together. The other side of that is sometimes we try to fight all our fights alone. I know, I can do that. I'd much rather fight it alone than have any help. And the principle here is we fight together. Joshua didn't send each tribe to their own land and say, good luck. He said, we do this together. I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 10-17. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. 
for we all partake of one bread. 1 Corinthians 12, two chapters later, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And there's a unity that God teaches about His church, but we see it in Joshua. And they went over. And they obeyed. We see in verses 16 through 18 that the people respond well. The people respond well. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us we will do. And there's, there's questions of who the they is. Is this just those two and a half tribes? It's probably all of the leaders that he's talking to. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us we will do. And wherever you send us we will go. Oh, what a great vote of confidence. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord our God be with you as he was with Moses. And they gave that condition. Make sure you're following God. Make sure you're following his plans. Verse 18, you can tell how serious they are. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your word, whatever you command him, shall be put to death. Now there's accountability with bite. Only be strong and courageous. And there's that phrase again. And the people are saying it back to Joshua. Be resolute and determined. Be willing to step forward. And so we see the people responded well with a pledge of loyalty. How do we take this passage? Great story of starting off where God challenges Joshua. Joshua immediately obeys, gets the people together, and they're about to go. It's go time. And some of these we've talked about as we've gone through the text, but four different things that apply to how do we follow God? How do we individually and as a church? The first is courageously go where God is leading. Courageously go where God is leading. Arise and go. But here's the challenge with that. That, That's a great phrase to say and it sounds great in Christian circles. I'm going to go where God is leading. What's usually the next question? Where are we going? Where's God leading? And it's a great question. Where is God leading? And, and, and I, I challenge, I want to give you sort of three steps in understanding that this morning, just real quickly here. We start with what we know. We start with what we know. Do you know God has told us where He's leading? It's called His Word. And He has given us instructions. And before we look for some grand thing that God wants us to do, the first question is, am I doing everything that's in here? Am I following this? And so first we start with obeying Scripture, of living a holy life. That's part of God's plan for us. That's part of where He's leading. Flip over to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, a a great passage. that actually quotes and applies Joshua 1.9. It's always nice when Scripture applies Scripture for us. And so we need to go there because in verse 5 of Hebrews 13, verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, and he quotes Joshua 1 here, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 1.5 actually. And so he says, This idea that God is with you, that God is strengthening you to accomplish His purpose, here's what it's about. Now, to understand the context, let's go all the way back to verse 1 of Hebrews 13. 
Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What's the context of applying Joshua 1.5 here? Live a holy life. Don't sin. Do what I've asked you to do. And so when we say, where is God leading me? The first place He's leading you is to obey Scripture. And it's spelled out for you. We should never have to say, I don't know what God wants me to do. And I know there's situations where we're we're seeking God's Word specifically, but it starts with obeying Scripture. Second step of, of courageously going where God is leading is making sure we're participating in the body, the church body, as God's Word instructs. Am I building the church? Am I using my gifts for the church? As Ephesians 4 says, to build up the body. We had the two-by-fours up here. Am I a living two-by-four, a living stone that God is building His church? And ways that we can think about that is am I doing God's work here at Village? Am I participating in what Village is doing? Am I encouraging people here? Am I using my gifts here? Those are commands. Those aren't optional. And so before we think of how great, what great things God might use me for, we start with what basic foundational things has He already told me I should be doing. And here's the thing. I have found over and over and over again that when I am seeking to obey Scripture, when I am seeking to be part of His body in the way He commands me to be, that He opens up what His will for me is. And he makes it clear. But in my experience, he won't do that until I'm obeying Scripture. Until I've taken those first steps. Because then I can evaluate what God has put on my heart. Then Psalms 37, 3-5 applies. Trust in the Lord and do good. Obey God's Word. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. Live a holy life. And He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. What does God want you to do? Live a holy life. Be part of His body. And then, ask Him what great things He might want to do. We need to do something for Him. But it starts with the basics. Three other applications. These we've talked about. Second one, keep remembering the powerful presence of God. This is how discouragement is combated. We are a spiritual army fighting spiritual foes. In Ephesians 6, it says our our battle isn't against against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against rulers, against powers of darkness. That's the fight we're fighting. But He is with us. He's the same God. He hasn't changed. Third application is make God's Word central. This will lead to godly success. Make God's Word central in your life. 
I know over and over you hear me talk about, are you reading God's word? Are you doing the rooted reading or some other reading plan? I, I don't say that because I'm trying to fill your busy schedule. I say that because God says to make his word central, and that is the only way we will have spiritual success in life. If we're not in this book, we will fail spiritually. It's that, it's that important. And we see that in Joshua. And finally, fourth way of application, how do we follow God courageously? Find ways to work together. God's work is best done in unity. Get on board with what He's doing. As we minister together, He draws us close together. Challenge to you is the same as God's challenge to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Be resolute to follow God's Word. Be courageous of being willing to step out and obey God and do His will. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. And Lord, how you instructed Joshua to to lead the people and to get going into the land that you had promised, Lord, are, are, are many of the same things that you want to do in our life. You are with us as we, we seek you, as we follow your leading. Lord, you are fighting our battles for us. But Lord, help us to be fighting the right battles. To be seeking to follow Your Word. To obey Your Word. To not turn from it one smidgen. But to talk about it. To meditate on it. Lord, may we be a people of the Word. In Jesus' name, Amen.